You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey, everybody, it's Rick Bassman live here on Facebook Live for Talking Tough. It's a uh, beautiful Wednesday afternoon here on Maui, Hawaii. Everything is uh, everything's good up here. Um, with uh, today, my producer, John Pozorowski from the two-man power trip. John, uh, are you on with us? Yes, sir. Hey, you know, it's good good to see you here. I, I We were remarking before we went live here, everybody, that we actually are starting on time today and everything is working. So, Thank God for first, man. I, that uh, I think that, that might uh, portend to a successful podcast today, uh, John. I feel like I'd be remiss if we didn't um, if we didn't start today with a uh, with a quick word of uh, remembrance for Shad Gaspard. It's um it's big news in in the wrestling world. Uh, Shad, as you know, as, as everybody is remarking, uh, we weren't close. I, I knew Shad; he's a very nice guy. Never had anything but positive uh, experiences with him. And I just want to uh, put out a word of condolences to everybody who lost uh, someone they like in Shad and, and to many people, a good friend. And that uh, yeah, just shows you how he's uh, dramatic. But, you know, since I'm still in mourning over the passing of my beloved dog, I'm feeling a little cliche and dramatic these days. And I think it shows you how fleeting life is when those things can happen. So, uh, just condolences to uh, Siliana and his son and uh, and the rest of the world who lost a good friend. John, did you know, uh, do you know Shad? I've only met him at an autograph signing a few times. I mean, mountain of a man. He was a big, big dude, but super nice. Him and JTG were very friendly and very cordial with everybody. I haven't heard any bad word about him. All, nothing but professionalism, nothing but sweetheart, gentle giant, obviously a total hero. Um, saved his own son's life. So, I mean, whew, give me very, very powerful stuff and a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard anything really other than good things about him. And, you know, we'll, we'll introduce our, our guests a couple minutes from now after I talk myself out. Uh, they're, they're both close personal friends of mine, Tom Howard and Mike Bucci, who goes by Dova and Simon Dean. And I, I want to talk to them about, you know, what they feel insofar as people's reputations in the business are concerned. Um, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a bad word about Tom Howard. No one thinks he's a dick other than myself, but we're good friends. So that's okay. Um, Nova, super, super nice guy. And again, nothing but good word other than, and I'm going to ask him about this. You know, he was, um, he was a boss for a while at WWF slash WWE and you can't help but take some heat when you're in that position. So I think it'll be interesting to uh, to ask him about that. So we, we're going to introduce Tom and Nova in a couple of minutes. Um, I want to give a shout out to our first official sponsor here on Talking Tough. I even brought the product for display. It is Botanic Balance. It's one of the best reviewed CBD oils on planet Earth right now, according to all these reviews that I've read in any case. It's uh, www.botanic-balance.com. Um, I have uh, my three beautiful pups on it, Gogo, Eos, and Dennis. We're getting it twice a day. And uh, it's giving me a lot of comfort, um, especially with Ramon's passing recently, to do everything I can for my dog's health. So 
glad to have them on Botanic Ballads. I'm going to switch over now to um, a little bit of wrestling talk, a little bit of promoter talk for a moment. Um, I hate sounding like a promoter, but I was a promoter. So we all talk about things uh, that haven't happened yet that we hope will happen, and they may or may not. But, John, a couple pretty cool things today and over the past week. I had a great conversation today with the guy who owns the, the legendary Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And as you know, I'm thinking about making a move back to Southern California later this year. And the conversation with the man at the Viper Room was about a weekly show live for Talking Tough at the legendary Viper Room. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Wow, that would be amazing. Wow, quite the awesome venue and quite the uh, extension uh, for him. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it'd be a lot of fun. The idea would be to bring, you know, bring all our friends in. I could, like, imagine Tom and, and Nova being in town, and, you know, we, we open it up to, to all the guys from our crew and related crews, and I think it'd be an interesting show and a hell of a party at the same time. Um, the, guy, uh, the guy was asking me, you know, if we would do an afternoon deal, and I said, well, I think I'd rather do night. He goes, why? Do you... Um, he goes, do you anticipate much of like a, a bar crowd or a drinking crowd? Because the bar, and they always want to know about that. And, uh, you know, my, my answer was, huh, you know, probably half the guys that we have there are about as straight up hardcore sober as you'd ever meet. And the other half are probably the, the absolute opposite. So, yeah, I think we do well at the bar. But in any case, working on that, uh, the other is conversations with GRB, the folks that uh, do Intervention and the Deadliest Warrior. Um, are progressing nicely and you know may, maybe one day we'll see this as a uh, unscripted or quote-unquote reality format so you know it's all moving in the right direction either happen or it won't but it's exciting to uh be talking about and uh we'll do our best to manifest it here on talking tough with the two-man power trip john i want to um go ahead and introduce two of my favorite human beings on this planet i don't say that lightly it's true two very good friends and two guys who have given as much to the pro wrestling business and influence as many people in the business as any other, in, in my opinion. Uh, so without further ado, my good friends, Tom Howard and Mike Nova Bucci. Hey, guys. What's up, fellas? RB, Tom, two-man power trip. John, everybody. What's happening? Great to see everyone. Man, it's good to see both you guys on here. Technology never ceases to amaze me that we can actually do things like this and that uh, and that it works and people are watching all at the same time. Tom, where where are you? I know that's not you're not at home. I can see that. It looks like you're in a hotel room. I am. I'm in uh, Allen, Texas. Uh, it turned out. So my son is a senior and uh, they pushed the graduation forward. So I had a week's notice that he was going to graduate. I live in Las Vegas now. Um, and so I started looking at tickets and decided to rent a car and drive out here. So, uh, drove 20 hours, checked into a hotel and I'm going to his graduation in a few days. All right on. Cool. Cool. That's exciting. Now, is it, um, is it going to be a big ceremony or probably like limited amount of people I would imagine? Well, so Allen, Texas is a pretty famous place. They're the ones that built the huge stadium, the biggest high school stadium in the country, the size of a lot of pro stadiums, if you've heard of it. Um, so in that stadium. However, because of the restrictions, they're only doing limited amount of people. Each person can only have five people. They're doing, uh, you know, it'll be very bizarre for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and Nova, you're, uh, you looks like you are at home. Are you home today? 
Yeah, here in Louisville, Kentucky. Just keeping it locked down here. Uh, my daughter is running around somewhere, uh, just doing her thing. And uh, just here at the night, man, it's not as nice as being in uh, Maui or Honolulu, whatever you're doing. But Tom and I expect to be flown out with tickets and trans and a payday when you get to the Viper Room. So we'll do something, off. man. <laughs> first yeah. Or, oh, I'll just I'll just send my golf stream. How's that? <laughs> you're you're on the the RB golf stream, not a golf stream two, mind you, a golf stream four. So I will um I'll start to work toward that. No man, it'd be fun to do that, wouldn't it? Can you imagine us hanging out at the Viper Room, just messing around and doing stuff on air? I think it'd be a good time. As Why long not? as you're there, I'm there. I'm good. Coming coming from you, I could absolutely envision it and imagine it. If anyone else, I would just say it's pipe dreams. Coming from you, yep. I have no doubt. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's all right. I no, seriously, I appreciate that. You know, when when I start to work on things, and look, you and I have done so many projects together. So I, at, at this point, I like to say that. And we've, we've successfully done many projects together, Tom, you and I, and we've tried many others that, that didn't go anywhere. Because um, yes. you have to try. I mean, you fail 10 times more than, than you succeed. We all know that. Um, so I think at this point in my life, I've got a pretty good gut on whether or not something is going to happen. And, right. you know, I, I don't know that um, – I don't know we'll have a reality show. I think it's possible. But I, I know the Viper Room thing's going to happen, so – I'm looking forward to seeing you guys there later this year. That'll be cool. Definitely. All right. I'll, I'll, something I want to jump into. I don't know if you guys heard me, um, what I said at the beginning of the podcast about reputations and, and, and whatnot. Um, Mike, I want to, I want to ask you, I mean, you and I have always, you and I have never had a cross word, man. I don't think we've ever had an ounce of conflict between us. Pretty nope. amazing for me. Cause I usually get in conflict with everybody or in the olden days anyway. Um, and I, I think of you as truly one of the nicest people I know, and especially one of the nicest people from the business. And you know, people at, in the locker room, in our locker room, I know would share that same sentiment. You were with WWE for a while in talent relations. And it's inevitable being in that spot that some people are going to shit on you. It, just, it happens, right? Um, oh, of course. What, yeah. what so what was that like for you when you, you know, from the guy that everyone knows is like the ultra nice guy in the business is suddenly getting shit on. How, how did, how did that work for you? I will. I, I gotta, I gotta start off though really quick. RB and Tom apologize me. I heard you guys at the top of the show. I could spend a week talking about Shad Gaspard and how much he meant to me. I was closer to him than a lot of other folks. Uh, who you've seen all of the he, I, you cannot understand the scope of how many lives he affected and changed. The outpouring that you see of him today is unbelievable. I'm never going to be right about this. The man went swimming on Sunday and he saved his son's life and he, and he lost his own. I don't know what the grand plan, God's grand plan for all of us is. When I see him one day, he's getting a promo cut on him for taking Shad like this. Because I'm never going to be right about it, man. It's not right. I loved him like a brother. I was there, but we're going to go to the WWE talk. I was Shad's boss for a while when him and JTG were getting called up, et cetera. I mean, he's one of the lives I got to affect, but I, I don't want to, I'm going to get emotional if I get too, too, man, because I've been crying my eyes out for two days and it's not right. I love Shad. I'm always going to love Shad. 
even though we are as politically different as night and day, anybody who ever saw us going back and forth on Facebook were, were thoroughly entertained by I got a kick out of it, he got a kick out of it. But I'm never gonna I'm I'm never gonna forget him, man. It just uh I, I don't know what the hell happened and it's never I'm never gonna be right about it. But I don't want to dwell on that, guys. I'm sorry I brought it up. But as far as the WB stuff goes, RB, uh, I knew, and again, I, I, me and you, we've never even blinked the wrong way at each other. I've never had an issue with Tom. I love you guys. You guys helped me all those years ago. You kept me in the business. If it wasn't for UPW, I've told you guys I would have quit a long time ago. UPW saved my career. Uh, for WWE, I knew that the minute I took that job, and they approached me for it. I was I had a college degree. I knew the business. I've been through the system. I've been through the independence. I knew the eye for talent. Uh, but I knew the minute I took that job, it was going to be a heat position. I thought I could handle it. Uh, it was probably the worst decision I ever made in the fact that it turned me into a terrible person. Every single night going home, being miserable, bouts of depression. Uh, it affected my marriage, my work, just every part of my life. People that I knew for 15, 20 years had all of a sudden just become different people because I couldn't help them or I couldn't get them jobs or they weren't getting pushed or just whatever it was, man. It was incredible. I mean, I did get to help a lot of people in a positive way. I mean, I hired Kofi Kingston. I hired Santino Morella. I hired Drew McIntyre, Sheamus. I can go on list. But uh, the number of people that you just got – the WWE bubble at times, it just – it's a weird atmosphere. If you've never been in it, you can't explain it. And at that high level of competition, everybody's paranoid. Everybody's on eggshells. Everybody has to blame somebody all the time. And there was just no way to live, man. And I just, I was so happy when I got out. Uh, my life over the last 10 years has been better than it's ever been, minus a divorce, which kind of sucked. But uh, we've all been there. <laughs> but uh, yep. other than that, right. it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, in the real, the real world does not operate like that world. The WB is a family-owned company and is run by a select few. And your destiny in the, is in the hands of other folks. You can't control it, and uh, you're just—it's not set up it, for me. I, I can't even imagine what it would have been like if I had stayed there another couple of years. And the number of people I got to help far outweighs the number that I had issue with. So I sleep very soundly at night. The ones who don't, whoever had a, a crossword with me, I don't give a shit about them at all. I never did. I mean, the guy yeah. who washed my windows, the homeless guy who washed my windows the other day for me, and I threw him five bucks, he means more to me than those people ever did. So I don't sweat them. It's just, it was a lot of sour grapes. And the good thing is most of the people who ever had issue with me, almost nobody else in the business liked them either. So I'm good. Perfect. No, no, I, I love the way you, you said all of that. You know, when you got that job and, and take this only take this only the best way possible, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if that's the right spot for him or if he's right for that, only because I know how people are to people that are in your position and for people that were what you did at WWE. But I'm glad you look at it that way. Um, you know, I, I've taken people hate me in this industry. I have a lot of friends, too. And I thought, at least I think I've always tried to do right by people. But when yep. you're in a certain position, you, it's nature of any world, but especially our world, man, you, you get it. So I was just curious um, how that affected you. And I'm glad to hear that it, it has. Um, and, and I want to talk to Tom about his, his reputation as a good guy. First, though, 
I want to read a couple of things that are coming across on our, our Facebook feed here. Uh, this is from uh, from Efren, Little Cholo. Tom, remember Little Cholo? Yeah. Um, he said, he said go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm very proud of him. It's great He's, to be you – think about it. We had, we had three or four of those guys that uh, ended up teaming together, uh, and you saw them on TV, Lucha Underground, all different things. So incredibly proud. He says, uh, he says, hey, Tom Howard, say hi to KGB for me. Remember, you are KGB in Mexico. Um, Bryce Boudreaux says, Tom Howard is one of the most underrated people in the history of pro wrestling. He's done so much behind the scenes as well as for the business. That's from, uh, that's from Bryce Boudreaux. Um, Jonathan Moore, one of our great trainees, if you remember Jonathan, says, Tom Howard is a legend. That's his entire comment. So, uh, right. Right. as usual, Tom, you get all kinds of hate from people you uh, people you help along the way. <laughs> it's awesome, man. You know, um, I, I was very fortunate to be in a position. I look back on my time as a trainer, and I was incredibly, in my mind, I was incredibly selfish uh, because at the time I was going to Japan, um, and I would come home completely burned out. And then I was the UPW champion and trainer guy. And so I would like literally tell guys when I have matches, I remember doing this with John Cena. I said, why don't you just call it out there? Because I, first of all, was so burned out that I couldn't possibly call a match or I didn't want to call a match. And so I made it sound to him like it was going to be a test for him. But the reality is I knew he was able to call it better than I was. And I just wanted to go out and skate. So I think back on my time there, and I, I, I wish I could have given it the, the heart and the spirit. But like so many things, hindsight is twenty twenty, um, And so I, it makes me very, very happy that people at least saw my true intentions. But in my heart and my feelings, I feel like I didn't ever do it true justice. So when you say didn't – when you say you didn't do it true justice, uh, what, what did you not do? Well, being a trainer, um, we, people look look back on the video uh, tapes. I can't tell you the number of people from that video that we made many, many years ago that were affected. Current stars and uh, people from the uh, indies and people uh, will give me credit as some sort of an amazing trainer. And I look back and go, yeah, I was kind of half and half, halfway there. Uh, I'm very present now and I understand the difference. And so looking back in retrospect, I... I wish I would have had the presence to be there. You know, I, I hope that some of who I was uh, shown through, but you're so busy. Uh, the nature of what we do as wrestlers is you have to somehow be a little bit of a narcissist in order to, to do, do your job because you got to worry about your next meal. You got to worry about the gym. You got to worry about the next flight, everything else. And so now that I understand, you know, from retrospect and see the impact that you had on people, you just wish that you could have been there and been more present with each individual person. And so when you hear that someone had a good interaction with you, I'm just like, Oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know that I was there at the time or, or overly present or, or, you know, good, good people. I, I hope I was. Well, I, you know, by your nature, you're a good guy. So I, I never saw you be anything but nice to, to anybody and, and everybody. Uh, I, I think I hear and feel part of what you're saying, though. It's like, and, and Nova has expressed this to me a bunch of times. We had a pretty special thing going at a UPW back in the day. And I wish I had the presence of mind to borrow 
first for me to stop a thousand times back then and go, how cool is this moment? And yeah. I can look back on it now. And it's a place in time that I think will ever be recaptured. So you can only look back on it fondly now and do the best we can, I think, in the present to appreciate what's happening now, if that makes sense. Definitely, did, definitely did not do it then. Now, were you guys at – I don't have a good memory for what happened at certain points in time. Were you guys at UPW at the same time, or were you there at different times? Do you remember? No, I w yeah, we were there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, here, here's, here's the funny part. I knew of Nova. I, w I was a fan of VCW. I'd seen him there. And, you know, without pulling punches, he was a little heavier. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that he was the talent that he was. And he showed up. And here he is, shredded, looked like a million bucks, wrestled like a million bucks, came in and wrestled just like Frankie Kazarian. And that tells you everything right there. And they became an amazing tag team. And so I was very impressed immediately, but I was most impressed with his personality. Uh, he came in, first of all, it's easy to come from New York, whatever, uh, WWE, uh, ECW, whatever, and um, kind of look down on indie stuff. But it was the opposite. Came in and put everyone over, made everyone feel special, made everyone feel important. And uh, just kept telling everyone how honored he was to be here. And, and it, you know, it's one of those things where you go, wow, it, the energy of that lifts the entire locker room, lifts everyone that he's around. And that's what he did. And which is why, of course, WWE hired him. I, that's why when you just said, I don't think he was the right guy for the job necessarily, Rick, I conversely believe that he was right at the time because he could come in and lift the energy rather than um, letting them drag him down. Because I think he's a powerful enough person to do that. Yeah, no, got so well said. And, and, and Nova, you know, I think what, what Tom just expressed is exactly my memory of you coming into UPW as well. And I want to tell you why I called you in the first place about UPW. You may or may not know this. I don't know if I've ever um, told you this, this non-story before. But when you were there, you absolutely made the impression Tom is describing. And as he said, it's not just the words you spoke, hey, I'm happy to be here. You know, it, was, it, it was sincere. And that's something you don't always find you know, in the world especially in the pro wrestling business. So at, at first, to be really honest, I thought you were just going to be some guy we were doing a couple of spot bookings with. But, man, talk about defying and exceeding uh, expectations. You you were such a great addition to what was already, I thought, a pretty special backstage at that point. You not only fit in, you you did raise the level. So I figured while, while Tom was expressing uh, or creating a Nova love fest, that I would join in on that. Well, thank can you. Can you hear me, RB? I can't see my little video thing on there. Yes, our audio is good. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, man. I mean, I got to admit, like, for me, the best time in my life ever was the last several months of ECW through my tour around the world, my entire time in UPW, and, like, my first year of OBW. So that three-year period, besides, you know, my time my daughter was born, was the best time of my life. UPW... Re, re, it gave me a rebirth in the business. I went out there on Aaron Aguilera. You called me out of the blue. Then I teamed up with Frankie. Everybody there was awesome. I honestly think it was Tom or it might have been Horseshoe. I remember the first show I did out there, there was, two there was a bunch of locker rooms downstairs, and there was a big locker room upstairs where everybody got changed. So I'll never forget. I'm upstairs. I'm getting changed. I'm kind of doing my thing. And I remember like – uh, oh, God. 
the Cowboys, uh, the, the, the Cowboy guys, yeah. Mike Knox's partner, yeah. Horseshoe, Tom, everybody's up there. There's like 40 people stuffed in this room. And all of a sudden, I think it was might have been Tom, they're staring at me while I'm getting changed. And like, it just kind of stops and I'm kind of noticing people staring at me. And then I'm pretty you're sure Tom good. said to me, dude, you're the only name that's ever come in here and got changed up here with us and didn't get changed downstairs. And I said, well, what the fuck? Am, oh, how, why am I going to go do that? I'm the same as you guys. And then I just, we never looked back. Everybody at UPW, I'll I, I tell you, man, I used to go out to UPW early, Rick. I'd go out there a couple days early. I'd stay with the Bell Brothers. We'd go to Venice. Like when I got home from UPW, I would just circle my calendar and be like, I can't wait to get back there again next month. And, you know, I like to think I always brought a different perspective, a work ethic, and at least be a relatable, I hate using the word name, but somebody at the talent could look at and be like, wow, man, this dude comes out here, he's busting his ass, he's one of us, he treats us as an equal, and we want to get to be with him. Whether it's the Ballards, the Pitbulls, Joe, everybody who was out there was awesome. And it just, it rekindled my, and to see you be the mastermind for it all, Rick, with all, everything involved was even better. So I saw how much Pat, you, you never got to do credit. UPW and you, I don't feel truly gets the full credit that it should. That's my, that's my take. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was, I, I don't know how much more I can say about it. It was just, it was so amazing having you there. We had great locker room leaders, uh, Navajo Warrior, of course, uh, Chris Daniels, and Kevin Quinn, and the, the list goes on and on. But man, and I know we're gonna get, we'll get into some challenging stuff in a moment. It's not all love fest stuff, but I think the two of you guys set the bar for for everybody else. So be cool. Uh, it's just it's cool to have you both on here at the same time. Uh, you know, I, I had talked to Tom. You know, Tom, I've always considered Tom my best friend in the pro wrestling business because we're very close personal friends as well. And so I said, Tom, you know, who, who should we do this with? So, so Nova, we talked about this a lot. And, you know, I almost was going to bring Sting on with Tom. They don't, they don't know each other that well. But in my mind, I see a lot of similarities because of my history with each and, and what they meant to me in the business. And ultimately, man, we just thought it was a much, much better fit with you. And I'm glad this is the way this has uh, ended up. So uh, I'm so, honored. So, so Nova, you went you went over on Sting today, man. That's cool. I like that. Thank you. I'm honored. I mean, I can't. Tom is another guy. I never got his just due. He was awesome, super cool. I think Tom, honestly, I hate to say this, if you had been a little bit more selfish and more of an asshole at times, you would have made a bigger. You would have got further ahead in the business. But as that wasn't your true nature, because you had a killer streak in real life. You could have nuked people, but you're such a good dude that you were just kind of like, oh, that's cool. You were so awesome and untapped. And I just wish you had a good run, but man, companies missed a boat on you. They really did. Oh, thank you. That means a lot, man. You know, when I, when I had a taste of Japan, I realized that's where I wanted to be. And um, sometimes at some point you realize that it's not about money and fame and whatever. It's about like finding what you want and then moving on. And uh, I felt like I did that. And that's, so I don't look look back on it like what I didn't do. I look at you know I was with WWE for um, a couple of years development and traveled and 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 then when it was time to move forward, uh, it, it Japan seemed like the better option and uh, I feel I feel like it was the right decision. 
So I don't, yeah. I don't look, I don't look back on that like, like someone missed the boat, because quite frankly, I don't think I was ready at the time to be a big star. I certainly know I wasn't uh, mentally ready at the time to do the traveling. I'd spent as a development talent, you spend all that time on the road without any of the fame and fortune. So um, you get a real taste of what it's like without the money and without any of the good stuff. And at the end of that, you know, period of uh, whatever, a year development, you just kind of go, uh, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. Uh, this is what I have to look forward to for the next 20 years of my life. I'm lucky enough to be here, maybe five, maybe three. So when Japan came along, you know, you've been to Japan, obviously, uh, and you know the difference. And it seemed it, it just made a lot more sense to me. I was able to maintain my peace and who I was. Yeah, I totally understand that. I totally get it. Well, yeah, Tom had a hell of a run in Japan, obviously. It was Green Beret. And, and I would dare say, Tom, you were a big star in, in Japan. And I agree with you. I think your, your personality, your mentality, your psyche was, was so much better suited for that because you're always a hell of a worker. You could go out and work with, well, without having to participate in and subscribe to all the political bullshit. It's just just say it the way it is and was. And, and Nova, I, I don't know if you remember this or not. This was before your WWF time, at least. But back in the day before you know, they had um, Orlando or, or whatnot to send people to, they would always have, I don't know, Tom, remind me, four, maybe four people on the road at one time who were in development that would yeah. work dark matches every single night in every stop to get them ready to move on to television. So, so Tom did that. I, I, I think back to that now, Tom. Yeah. I can't even imagine how, how challenging, I would say horrible. That'd be kind of cool in some regards, but it had to be all in all a pretty challenging situation. It was something I yeah, it was hard. It was me and Kurt Angle, and we knew each other from the Funk and Dojo. We went to the in Connecticut Dory Funk and Tom Pritchard. Uh, we went to the dojo there and met each other. And uh, so we were kind of married uh, as far as two new guys. So you got to go out and have everyone scream, uh, you know, obscenities at you as a dark match. No one, people knew who Kurt Angle was. No one knew who, who Tom Howard was. At the time, I came out in the uh, slick. Uh, fake leather pants and you know let's be honest I look like a gay porn star with their uh, <laughs> insert joke here Rick. yeah so far we all we all know and I only know this because you've 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 educated me no but there is a gay porn star named Tom Howard so uh, <laughs> I had to share that with the audience here all right Tom sorry Go ahead. okay so when I signed when I started when I signed with K1 uh, this company tap out everyone knows tap out they sponsored me, and they, <laughs> the owner of Cap Out, who's now passed away, I believe, he called either Rick or Eddie Millis, and he said, hey, I just want to make sure, is this the same Tom Howard that's a gay porn star? So I get a call from Eddie, it was, it was Eddie Millis, and he says, we want to know if you've done gay porn. And I say, what the fuck? I Google Tom Howard, gay porn star, sure shit, there's a guy, and he wasn't even his real name. And he was 6'4", 260, which is my height and weight. And he's a <laughs> And so my mom to this day tells me when she Googles me that she'll that the pictures pull up and she's like, oh, it's so horrible. Uh, but uh, he uh, unfortunately, he looked nothing like me, fortunately, and he did pass away of AIDS. Uh, I, unfortunately, I guess we'll say that. Um, but anyway, there's that story. 
There you go. Can, can now I know. You see that? Well, probably not. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to show our audience out there. There you go. There's your namesake, Tom Howard, gay porn star. All right. <laughs> Had to do it. Had to do it, man. All right. Oh my God. So um, <laughs> so Mike, um, you know, so you know about Aaron Aguilera then. You know, UQW was on this giant run, and you know, we, we had the first ever indie appearance by the Road Warriors. We had the first indie appearance by Roddy Piper. And we, we're, you know, we're on a good roll. Edge and Christian came in when they were at the top. The Hardys came in. Triple H, top babyface in the world at the time, came in. So we're on a roll. And, you know, I kind of thought we were omnipresent. It could do, you know, as we please was a nice position to be in. And we had a the Ballards, as you mentioned. They, they were pretty much our mainstay tag team. We had a big tag team division. The next team, Hardcore Inc., was Aaron Aguilera, who was in WWF as Jesus. He main evented one pay-per-view against John Cena. Uh, and he was teamed with Justin McCulley, who is, went on to become a UFC heavyweight. Uh, Justin left, wanted Aaron to remain a tag team. So I said, okay, Aaron, you know, we can pretty much get whoever we want. Who should we call to be your tag team partner? And he says, Nova. And I'm like, the superhero guy from ECW? I honestly, I have to admit that that was my reaction. Because I remember you, Tom said, <laughs> you know, you carried a little extra weight at one point. And I think you wore green and yellow. Is that right? Spandex or very colorful, whatever it was. The superhero outfits. I had a bunch of different ones. Okay. That's one I remember for some reason. That's what's indelibly imprinted into my mind. I'm like, okay, you know, we'll fly them out. Fine. And I called you. You were very gracious. I remember that. We made our deal, whatever it was, you came out. And, and right away, as Tom described, you're like a different guy than I expected. And in, in, in a good way, I mean, not that I expected bad. I expected something different, that's all. But much you exceeded those expectations for first impression. First thing I remember, though, is it, it, I didn't think you were a good match for Aaron Aguilera at all. So poor Aaron, who always seems to get the short end of every stick, God bless him. Uh, we pulled you right away, put you with Frankie and and – that was awesome. And that, that kind of started everything for, for Nova in, in UPW. One story I kind of like for you to tell, if you don't mind, so I probably don't have the, the full scoop on it, is UPW also was unusual for indies that we'd bring stars in and we would have our established guys go over on the stars from the other promotions. That usually <laughs> didn't happen in many places. And, you know, it was cool, wasn't it? I mean, we didn't, you know, I remember Justin McCauley beating the hell out of Hawk one night. I'm like, God, oh, this is bad. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, how, about, how about Chris Daniels and I going over on Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, double pinning him? At double the pin. Uh, yes. That's right. <laughs> that's who does right. that? Exactly. That's who does that? That's you. You pull it off. So we did that. It was cool. So the first time we ever got any resistance from that was from Juventud Guerrera, who. <laughs> who I now have personally beat up on two occasions on different wrestling shows because who he deserved it. I'm sorry? The juice. The juice. Nah. The juice. The juice is loose. Um, we wanted to put Mikey Henderson over him. Hoovy said no, and we got him in a room and said, Hoovy, yes. <laughs> we kind of strong-armed him, and he put Mikey over. So the second time this almost happened is we brought, and Mike, you know where this is going, we brought former ECW tag team champions, Roadkill and Danny Doring into work. Oh, Christ. 
Yeah. And they just, they just refused to put over whoever it was we booked them with. Nova, what happened? Well, I will <laughs> to go back a second too. me and Aaron Aguilera. I owe going to UPW to Aaron Aguilera for picking me. I love Aaron. El Jefe was awesome. It was great. We teamed a couple matches. It was a bit of a mismatch. I had known Frankie from Killer Kowalski's. So we talked and we were so similar. And I think me and him were backstage one day. We were working out or something at the Galaxy. And you saw us. And we both had like our hair down. We were working out. And we were like almost spitting images of each other. Like we were literally a made-for-TV WWE-style tag team. Like when we did those dark matches and we got done, we're walking around the back and we're looking at Edge and Christian and the Hardys and this and that. I'm like, holy shit, we're a shoo-in. Like, we could easily go with these guys tomorrow and do this. And yep. we were Evolution. Now, how that name wound up on another team a couple of years later, I don't even want to get into that, but it is oh, what man. it is. <laughs> but, um, so that's how that happened. The Dorian Roadkill thing, I remember we were looking for different opponents. ECW had been out of business for, like, over a year at that point. It wasn't coming back. Uh, I was the one that reached out to Danny and Kill, or to Danny – because I had no relationship with Roadkill. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, there's this offer to do it. They were able to piggyback a personal appearance out of that too. Uh, I let all the ECW heat go with ECW. It is what it is at this point. But all I remember is I think they, they, they were coming out and they were worried about, like, the legacy of ECW. They were the last ECW tag team champions. They didn't necessarily want to lose to me and Frankie. Uh, I thought that was odd only because – we were one of the, at that time we were me and Frankie were champions of like six different promotions. We were getting booked everywhere as a team, and we were the UPW tag team champions. I didn't think the loss would have cost them at all. They didn't want to do it because they were the last tag team champions. That's their prerogative. Uh, so we obviously were going to lose. Like I think the thing was actually, hey, look, if you guys if we beat you guys tonight, we'll bring you back next month. You can beat us back and win your belts or something. It was something we were trying to come up with some kind of like impasse and. Uh, it didn't work out. We did a draw at the end. The Ballers came out or something, and we shook their hands, and that was it, and they were never to be seen in UPW again. Uh, but I don't care. Danny's a, a successful dad. He's got a couple kids. He does a, a job in the real life. I have no idea what Roadkill does. Uh, they were trying to look after their own. It is what it is. Uh, it was just a weird situation to be in. That's one of the only times I've ever been in a situation like that ever out of the – thousands of wrestling matches I've had. I've only ever had that happen like once or twice and it happened. Uh, obviously we all know what happened because I stayed in UPW and look where my career went. And then the guys, they protected their own and they went home and did what they had to do. So it is what it was. All right. Yeah. I was just curious. I, I know we talked about it years ago, but I didn't have a, a very, very collection of it. And so to be refreshed. And I, I think it was cool. We brought in the former ECW tag team champions. Uh, but I, but I do remember not wanting to bring them back. I didn't dislike either guy. I thought they were very nice. And I actually have a really cool picture like of me and Roadkill somewhere together taken when he was signing out at, at the Galaxy in the concourse area. Very nice guys. I had actually booked him about a year before to go scare The Miz in the uh, house uh, for the real world before Mike, be before Mike Mazzana became a wrestler. So always like a cool guy, but he just did, didn't seem to be contributory to our get-along family atmosphere if you will. So I was just kind of curious. That's why they were one and done. I mean, it is what it is, man. Everybody, look, you can make whatever decision that you have to make. 
I mean, I've made uh, questionable decisions. Tom has, you have RB, and we live and die by our decisions. It is what it is. And in that case, they didn't want to do it. I wish them the best of luck. I mean, again, I let all bygones be bygones. I wish them all the best in the real world right now, whatever they're both up to. And uh, it's one of those things that happened. We all lived and learned from it. But that was probably the only time. That's one of the only times that ever happened to me, ever. I never had a problem losing to anybody. I didn't care because the ending of a match is only three seconds. What did you do for the other 10, 11, 12 minutes you were out there? Nobody remembers it. Nobody cares anymore. about. Nobody cares about wins and losses. I didn't. You didn't get paid more because you won or lost. That's the secret, everybody. So, it's you know, (laughs) I don't know. Wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. I I grew up a big fan. I grew up a big fan in the L.A. territory when I was a kid, right? And I made my dad take me every year to Olympic Auditorium for the 22-man Battle Royal. Uh-oh. Andre won one year versus Bruno Sammartino. And I remember distinctly, the winner got an $11,000 prize. Are you telling me that the winner didn't actually get $11,000? Because this is going to kill everything I ever thought about pro wrestling right here. No, but there was one time I heard an old wives' tale. I think Dr. Tom told me, and I'm pretty sure it's true, that Austin Idol one time won a battle royal in Memphis for like $5,000. And at the end of the thing, they gave him the big gimmick check and all that. He went to the bank the next day and he shoot cashed it because they were at the people who worked at the bank were at the match the night before. Like he never gave it back to the promoter and he literally took it and cashed it and they gave him the money for it. That's awesome. Austin Idol. You know what? I, I never heard that story before. I don't even know Austin Idol, but now I feel like I want to have him on the show just for that reason. That's almost positive with him. Wow. That's, that's, Amazing. Tom, did you ever – you worked pretty much everywhere. When, I mean, you were worked at AAA for a long time at yeah. Zuma. You had a hell of a run in Japan. You did a you, – you worked dark at WCW. You were on the road with WWF. Um, did you ever work at ECW? I don't think you did. Did you? No. No, I didn't. Yeah. The, only time, the only time I really spent on the East Coast was when I was with uh, uh, WWE under development. Um, when I was at the Funkin' Dojo, I went to two or three of them. And they had us do matches uh, in the I don't know I don't I can't even tell you where but near near Connecticut in the uh, local independent area. Tracks. So I did in the tracks in the- warehouse. It was <laughs> called Tracks. Oh yep. really? Oh okay. yeah, Tracks right. warehouse. That's where you did them. Well, oh no 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 no. But we we actually went and did independence like in New Hampshire or not whatever oh, it was near. Okay. It was uh, I Waterbury. Can- yeah. Remember uh, wherever Baldo lived? You remember Baldo, the, the guy who's now the yep. coach at the moment? Yeah, uh, it was where he lived because he said it was his hometown, wherever that was. Uh, a couple of different places. So we did we did these shows as part of our deal. I, it wasn't many, but it was like uh, I think a couple, two, three. Yeah, I couldn't remember if you had been at ECW. So I, I remember you like being pretty much everywhere, and that's. Uh, I was just curious. I, I had I had had to ask. Yeah, so like like so many wrestlers, I uh, I was a big fan of the uh, the Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero's, the the people that had started and wrestled all over. So my my game plan immediately was uh, do Mexico and Japan, and then become a big star in America, and cash your check and make your money, and then uh, you know go buy a farm somewhere and disappear. But uh, uh, so that. You know that that happened to some extent. I did pretty well in Mexico. Uh, did pretty well in Japan, but uh, the American thing never quite worked out. And and 
like I said, I'm kind of semi-happy it did. Uh, because it's, it's also another strange thing. When you see these people that had wrestled in the States and they have some level of, uh, of celebrity and no money to show for it, and then you're like, wow, that's got to be a bit of a torture uh, to where everyone thinks you're a famous wrestler and you're struggling to get by, you know, as, as, as the movie The Wrestler, because everyone has this vision of what you must be like. So you kind of semi-forget uh, well, just like uh, Nova, for example, you you had a small run on WWE, but you, you don't walk down the street and have everyone recognize you, obviously. Correct? Yeah, I mean, that, that's – and so many people, Tom, they, they get caught in that for a second, and they're not realizing, yeah, they're going to get monetary gain out of it, but they can also create a tool belt that they can use in a real world to even further themselves even more. So you're yeah. right. When you see these people who are big-time famous wrestlers and this and that, and they have no money to show, they're broken down. They have, they're, it's just, it's this, it's a sad feeling. But it also makes me realize that myself and you and Rick, like we never got caught in that. Like we're, we survived that, and we got out, and we became normal, functioning citizens of society, which most don't. And I don't think this generation is going to get caught with that. Like this generation now are not going to have some of the pitfalls that we all saw the generation before that. So I love the fact that these guys are doing their video games, listening to podcasts, like worrying. I don't care what they do. As long as I'm not being around another hundred wrestlers or so years from now that all die from whatever, or they're bankrupt and broke and you're going to see shorter careers too, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. You mentioned that. So you and I were around the business around the same time. Um, and we, you know, people don't realize I was, I was in WWE at the time where after the show you had everyone, we, we all stayed at the Marriott. You go to the Marriott bar. When you get back to your hotel, there's a bunch of girls waiting in the lobby. Uh, certain people are taking as many girls as they want upstairs. Uh, they get to the bar. Certain people are just getting hammered downstairs. Certain people are going to strip bars. It's crazy, and everyone knows it's crazy, uh, and it's just like a, it's the big hush-hush secret. Uh, the business is not like that anymore. People, it, it, it was encouraged to be that way. I was that way. People were that way. It was very normal, even though you and I were very the normal versions of the healthy versions of that. But you know, we had to. We had to all play along because it was part of the deal to be a wrestler. It's like your manhood, the fact that you could go and and outdrink people and do you know whatever whatever you you uh, wanted to do. Uh, it's not like that anymore. And I'm so incredibly happy that it's not because it wasn't a healthy environment. And, uh, oops, sorry. Uh, wasn't a healthy environment. And I, I, I help train wrestlers now uh, here in, uh, not here in Las Vegas. Um, this is a hobby uh, with, I got involved because of my, uh, my fiance slash wife, uh, Teresa is a wrestler. Uh, and she's just, her name's Lacey Ryan, and she's just getting ready to get started on television. And uh, the local group called FSW, a guy named Joe DeFalco and Rocky, they're amazing guys. They run the group there, which is, they pretty much modeled after you, Rick Bassman. So that's why I'm so fond of it, because it reminds me of those times. And to get to see the guys now and deal with them now and, and interact, there's no more crazy. Like, they love to hear my old stories, but I can see that they don't em they don't want to emulate them. They literally just kind of shake their heads and go, how the hell did you guys do that? And I'm like, no idea. 
somehow we did. And they're like, doesn't that make, didn't that make everything 10 times harder? And I'm like, yeah, uh, but we weren't smart enough to figure it out back then. And <laughs> no, no one has the interest in making it crazy like that anymore. You know, it's not, no, it I, just, I never, I never got into that, man. Like I, I, I would never, I, I was in ECW for five years. So you can imagine whatever you saw, Tom, multiplied up times 10. I mean, yeah. it was insane. And it was cool though. Cause I was respected enough where nobody forced me to do anything. And I mean, you guys are around me for over a year in UPW. I never dry. I, I never, I've never touched a drop of alcohol in my life. You were really clean. Yeah. You were really clean. Yep. I, I don't that. do, I never yeah. did pills. I, you know, here's another thing too, rat, uh, Rick. I never ratted out in California. You never guys saw me hanging around, like trying to rat or pick up any of the girl. Like I was out there to wrestle, have a good time, work out at Venice goals, hang out with my boys. And I just kept saying, what's the next step? What's my next progression? How am I going to get better? No wasted movements, man. No days off. And I just, I'm also very thrifty. So if I couldn't write it as a tax write-off, I wasn't going to spend money on it for drugs or pills or alcohol or any of that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's amazing that we saw so much of it. A lot of, we lost a lot of friends, a lot of comrades to that lifestyle. And I'm just glad the guys now aren't, aren't involved in any of that. I tell the tales every now and then and people are like, really that happened. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it happened. I saw someone's, I'm never going to write a book. Cause if I write a book and I have to do an expose tell all, and there's going to be so many guys that have the road, the, the bloom taken off their rows. Cause these were functioning drug addict maniacs. Some of these guys I was around, but they were my drug addict maniacs. Like they were great guys. So I have no yeah. interest in telling any of that stuff, but yeah, you know, we, yeah. we survived it, man. You know, and I'm, I'm raising my hand only because I have to admit, and Nova, my, my impression of you always is, was exactly as you're saying, super clean living. Um, I, Tom, I'm just going to say it because I'm part of it as well. We, we could have been those, we could have been amongst the statistics, man. At least yeah. I know I could have been. Um, <laughs> you know, and I did write a book, Nova, as you know, and it, in the book, I, I have this thing, and I, I know some people consider it disrespectful. But I refer to it as the pro wrestling diet and the pro wrestling diet, as I described it. This is back in the days you guys were describing, not now, thankfully. And I'm really happy the way it is now, um, as, as you also described. Pro wrestling diet back in our days, in my mind, was alcohol, cocaine, narcotic painkillers, anabolic steroids. But you would eat really, really clean. So you're Protein powder. <laughs> Protein powder. Right. And um, oh man, I got I, I was definitely a partaker of the, the pro wrestling diet. I'm I'm the first to admit it. And and I pay the price later. You know, I pay the price with all kinds of medical and, and health problems later. Uh, thankfully, now doing well. And as you mentioned earlier, Nova, I think you um, I think you actually accused us of being functioning members of society. I don't I don't hear that often, but I appreciate it. And um. And somehow, yeah, we, we did manage to get past that. Thank God. But uh, let me throw this in. Real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's interesting. I had no idea Nova was uh, dry. I didn't drink. It didn't do anything, um, which is probably one of the biggest compliments you can give a guy, because if you can hang with the dysfunctional wrestling community and not stand out as a square uh, or a snitch or whatever else um, and be a leader and be clean, God bless you. I, 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 I'll be honest. I just wish that you could have shared some of your wisdom with us at the time because, you know, someone who's been through recovery and, uh, 
you know, you, you just you deal with things for life and you kind of like someone who's figured it out, please share the wisdom. You know what I mean? Like, especially because of the fact that you uh, mesh with the guys. So that's well. what we're here now, man. They're all learning from our, our stories, Tom. I wish I had back then. I just never, it never blinked to me back then because I was one of the boys, you know, and it's, Hey, this is what we're doing, man. This is, we're living the life. But, yeah. you know, I love you guys, man. I wish I could have done I, I loved every second of every day I was there. So let me ask you a question. How did you find – so as you described, you're like, I, I didn't drink. I was all about saving money, showing up, all about business. How did you find the dedication to do that on a day-to-day -day uh, Honestly, man, my upbringing for my parents – and so many people telling me I was never going to make it. I was never going to do it. And I just, I, I, I worked my whole life with a chip on my shoulder, whether it was in wrestling or mortgages or finances, a dad, like whatever it may be, like that's been my biggest motivator. Tell me I can't do it. I'm going to pull it off. So I just kept thinking to myself, if I, if I go left and I should go right, I'm going to give them a win. And I'm such a bitter bastard at times. Like, I can't do that. I can't let them beat me. So that yeah. was just my thing, man. Like, I knew what the end game was. Like, I'm not going to waste any movement or any, any energy. I mean, we know people who were in California at the time, and I would somehow hang around with some of the guys. And we'd all make a deal to wake up the next morning and go work out at Gold's Gym. I'm up at 6 a.m. going to work out, and they're all passed out sleeping and not doing anything. I'm like, come on, guys, let's go. Like, you can't – you either have that in you or you don't. And for me – that was the, I wasn't going to spend all this time and effort and everything else and screw it up with stuff like that. So that was just how I lived. So my question to you is you, to say you either have it or you don't is it doesn't give people hope who believe who aren't doing it now. So what me, what's the message that you could give someone who isn't doing it now that you you who have that gift can give reach out to someone reach out to the mentor reach out to a think tank reach out to somebody who has resources we're all there man if you're in the wrestling business and you're struggling or even in any line of work if i'm your friend on facebook if tom is as rick is reach out to us we'll give you the guidance we'll help you the best i can man i mentor a lot of young guys in the business i really do and i talk to a lot of people life what are you gonna call it life coaching this whatever it may be learn from our mistakes learn from our failures learn from whatever wisdom we can give uh, i had mentors when i was coming up people who i modeled myself after and you know my dad was a big one and iron mike sharp my original trainer uh just, just i don't know man it's just there's so many resources out there that let, let's let's use our energy to to help out i mean yeah tom well, that's, that's a really it's a really good question and, and, and a great answer, too, Mike. Uh, Tom, I, I espouse the same thing man, all the time because there's so many people in pain these days, you know, whether they're in the pro wrestling world or any world, and people stuck at home. And I, I was here not long ago myself. I thought I was at my end. And I got better or on the road to getting better by reaching out. And, you know, whether it's a, a mentor or a pro wrestling trainer, Man, there are so many organizations and so many resources out there, and it doesn't take money. So, you know, just anybody out there that wants to know what to, if, if they – Tom, you know, you're a self-starter. Mike, you're a self-starter. I'm a self-starter. So maybe it's easier for us and most people to, to know what to do next or to at least get ourselves, you know, headed in a direction where we can improve. But, man, if not, Google. Here's a Google term for you. 
what can I do in my area to improve my life? I've put that into a Google search before. And you can go away the resources you come up with. There's all the mankind group, the boys club. I mean, whatever it is, there's so, so Mike, thank you for that answer. And Tom, thanks for the question. I love that. Let me throw this out because I, I, this is going to be a, a giving Rick some props, but Rick and I uh, have regular conversations and we were talking about being of service. And I said, I genuinely can tell from talking to you right now that you have figured out. He went through the program, uh, you know, the, the program, and we'll leave it there. And he figured out how to really find being of service uh, to the blessings associated with it, where you can help other people and it gives back to you. And I said, how are you being of service? Like, how did you figure out how to do it? I want to do it. I understand that it's, it's selfish because of the fact that you actually get something incredible back from it. And so Rick told me something amazing, which most people don't know. He goes through all the people on Facebook, and every time he sees someone that has a, a lonely story or something sad, he'll send him a message and say, hey, you know, give me a call or a column or whatever he can do. And he talks to people. And I, my, my selfish response was, aren't you afraid that you're going to get a bunch of these weird people, like, you know, latching onto your life? It does not lower your energy level when you talk to these weird people about weird stuff. And he said, I haven't found that to be the case. If anything, um, they've succinctly uh, stated their case. I've helped them the best way I could. And we both, um, you know, elevated from the interaction. And I was like, wow. And quite frankly, I've not done that, Rick, since we talked about it. This is over a month or two ago. But I just want, I want the fans or li the listeners to know that's the kind of guy that Rick is, which is, Wait, oh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Tom. I agree. And, I pre and, I, and you know what? And, and Tom, you, you would be so amazing in that role. So I, I actually want to put you on the spot for a second. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay. I, I'm going to name a name, and I'm going to do it only because he posted on Facebook, so it's out there for public consumption. So you remember one, one of the very first instructors at UPW, Nils Stewart. We all know Nils. Love all right. Him. So – Mike, do you know Nils Stewart? Nils Allen Stewart? I know the name. I, I can't say I'm friendly with him, but I definitely know who he is. You know, yeah, pretty famous stuff. Pretty his famous son's stuff. A, Go on, Tom. I'm sorry. His, his son's a famous actor, Boo Boo Stewart. His son's a real famous actor now. Yeah, D Disney Channel star and starred in all the Twilight movies. Nils actually okay. played Jesse Ventura I know the name. in the movie about Jesse's life. So yeah. Nils, big, big, giant guy, looks like the kind of guy that would never, ever have a problem. And he posted on Facebook today that he's he's suffering. And he wrote, I, he, I, I, I'm, this is not quote unquote, I'm paraphrasing what I remember. Nils wrote that um, I've done some bad things in my life and I, I need to know that I'm forgiven. And I want to let people know that I recognize this and I'm trying to get better. Uh, so Tom, I, I picked the phone up and I called him, but I got his voicemail. Mm. Call, give Nils a call, man. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. And you I, would be I, so I absolutely do good that. in that role. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Because I, I respect right. a lot of that guy. There's several people like Nils that would drive with his wife and kids from L.A. to Huntington Beach to train and help train. And his kids were sitting by the ring who are now famous and his, his wife – and I was just like, wow, it's just amazing to see the dedication. Uh, and I'm going to give props for one other guy, which is interesting. Um, Chris Masters, he would get on a bus from 
Venice Beach, and he said it took him two to three hours to get down, <laughs> taking various buses to get down to Huntington Beach. Several times his mom would drive him, and the car would break down along the way. You remember this? Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, so you, there's there's so many of these guys that we work with that put up so much sacrifice along the way. And, uh, you know, it's just you, – you, it's just needs to be it needs to be uh, applauded. Yes, with, with, without question. Yeah, Chris is one of the good ones. Chris was on the show last week, by the way, and uh, it was nice catching up with him. And, yeah. and I wanted to mention that because he was on with uh, with our mutual friend Gabe Tuft, also known as Tyler Rex. Yeah. Um, who's actually I can see he is watching us right now. So shout out to two survivors. Uh, Two survivors right there, Rick. Gabe, yeah, Gabe right. through what he went through a couple years ago, and Chris for battling the demons and conquering those. Two great guys, two examples. Tom, they they, they found the path. They found light. I mean, Gabe went through it, and, and so did Chris. Two different Dude, things, obviously, but they made it. So Gabe was not even a wrestler. Gabe uh, came to our gym, but he was always jacked, incredibly smart, incredibly well-spoken. And uh, started training and, and kind of like outdid us all. And it, so smart enough to leave the business when it was, you know, it was it's no longer serving him and went on to do great things. And him and his wife are just amazing. Good guy. People. Now they're motivated yeah, yeah, really people. on an incredibly high level. So, man, could not have higher regards for one of them. Yeah, let's let's give let's give Gabe a, a, a push here. Uh, Gabe is on his wife, Priscilla. Tom mentioned they have a company called Body Spartan. It'll yeah. help turn your life around. So www.bodyspartan.com. Gabe, there's a push for you, man, because you Boom. deserve it. Uh, and he's in, he's in uh, Austin, Texas, which is a great place. I believe they left California. God bless them. They left Newsom. And, Rick, I'm going to warn you about moving back to California. Think about Texas, buddy. They, they came down <laughs> to Austin. I think it's a good move. I think there's a warrant out for my – Arrest in Texas. I think I might go to California. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we'll see how that goes. Oh, hey. Um, I want to shout out also to uh, Tom Erickson, Big Cat, maybe the toughest MMA fighter of all time, who Mark Coleman and Mark Kerr, my good friends, said they wanted nothing to do with. So uh, Tom is watching us right now. So I wanted to say hello to uh, to Tom Erickson. Dude, love, um, love Tom Erickson. He, he, the Big Cat. The big cat. That's right. Uh, Mike, who are you in touch with from ECW days? Anybody? Uh, I'll talk to Dreamer. Obviously, Meanie and Stevie. We're, we have a video game that we're, we're going to be in coming out this year for Retromania. Uh, so I talk to those guys a lot. Uh, you know, even for the business. I talk to oh, Mark Henry's one of my best friends. Uh, I talk to a bunch of guys. I mean, Aaron the Idol Stevens. Still talk to him from WBE. Uh, I talk to more of the guys who are more grounded in kind of real life stuff now than those that are still caught in the wrestling bubble. Cause I just yeah. don't, I don't have anything in common with them anymore. I don't really watch the shows a whole lot. I'll watch what my friends are on or I'll watch it like when Kofi won or see what he's doing or when Drew won, I reached out to him, how proud I was of him, like stuff like that. But the more we drift away from nine to five every day, wrestling, 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 and get into the real world stuff, we just don't have as much in common to talk about because those guys are still kind of in that encapsulated weird world where everybody has heat. Everybody's worried about something. Everybody's paranoid. And that's just not how I live my life anymore. So can I, yeah. can I give you a, like a strange bit of uh, un, 
unsolicited advice. Um, I was really burnt out on wrestling. Um, and I, I left wrestling force and ended up going back to the real world and ended up in a family business. We do uh, international export of women's footwear, which makes me basically, um, <laughs> Al Bundy. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, so I, I did assimilate into the real world. Um, I felt something was missing and, uh, strangely enough, I got pulled back. I would never have gone back, but I got pulled back into the wrestling world, helping coach, mentor, uh, do different things. And if, if obviously there's no money there, it's a free thing, which is even 10 times better because if you're doing it for money, then you've already lost half of the, the mission. Um, and there's something amazing because it's something that we loved with such an amazing passion. And when you leave it, you've lost part of yourself and you don't know that you lost part of yourself until you get it back. And there's a fulfillment that I now have that I did not have before. And uh, hmm. so, for example, someone like Adilo, who's at, at our school, uh, who's helped my uh, fiance so incredibly much. Um, when I sat down with him and we watched her in the ring and he broke things down and he expressed his love for the business. And I thought to myself, could he be making that much money? No. What, what, what driving this man? And I thought, Oh my gosh, it's his childhood love. And he's been able to pass it on and that passion. And he's been able to keep that fire, stoke that fire. And I thought, wow, it, those things helped me. Another guy, Finn Bodie, uh, who's just has such an amazing love for the business. So I would highly recommend that you at least attempt to go to a school and do some, um, you know, I understand you're a give back guy. You get it 100%, but it'll, it'll do so much for you. That's my thing. Like Rick Bassman saying, reach out to someone on Facebook that's in, in, uh, you know, in trouble or having a difficult time because I found so much fulfillment for that, that I could not recommend it, you know, highly enough. Yeah, Al Snow has OBW down here. I've done some stuff with them in the past before. I love Al. We probably will do something when the pandemic ends. I've been burning that candle a little bit. I've been kind of thinking about it, and we've yeah. talked about it. So I don't know if it's like a commentator thing or maybe run a class on the weekend every now and then or something like that. But it's as long as you never make it your full-time life passion again, you're obsessing about it, and it becomes yeah. like something you want to do on the side – then that's great because I'll never put my fate in the hands of someone else like that ever again. Like I control my own destiny now. Like yeah. you do yours, Tom, and Rick does his. And if, like you said, you make it a side gig and have some fun with it and realize why you loved it in the first place, that that's definitely something to heed. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I actively avoid trying to take any money from it because that takes away the nature of what I feel it to be, which is like, you know, giving back in some way. Yeah, and it's a great feeling. I, I agree. And I and and yeah, so Nova, if it sounds like you have done it to to, to some extent, I, I would recommend it too. I, I understand why we're all out of the business per se. Uh, but I've got to go to a couple independent shows myself over the past three or four years. And it's like really cool to go in the locker room now and get to share some experiences and whatnot when you're not just intertwined on the day-to-day -day anymore. So I'm completely with you on that, Tom. It's a pretty darn cool thing. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because they they always say if you ever want to hate something, try doing it for a living, uh, you know, because <laughs> you, you end up losing your passion. <laughs> well, let, let's uh, let's jump back into that bubble for a second, Nova. You told me a story on the phone last week 
about okay so when when i asked you how you wanted me to you know to name you when i was putting these notices out for the podcast should i say nova or should i say simon dean and right away you said nova and a lot of people also know you as your wwe character simon dean the exercise guru and you told me about you know what you, you told me about the evolution of the character there and what you hoped it would become that got shut down. W would you share with us what happened with Simon Dean at WWE? Yeah, I mean, I was when I was on OBW for almost two years, uh, I went up on the road multiple times. They could never really come up with something for me to do. I always had that character kind of in my back pocket. So I cooked up Simon Dean, all of it, the fitness products, the name, all this stuff, everything involved was all me. So I do Simon Dean. After about two years of it, I could kind of see that it was only – they were never going to do anything more than being a good mid-card guy. I knew that. That was my station on the company, a mid-card guy. Go out there, have great matches, get people over. I could lose every single week because I get my heat back on the mic. It didn't matter. And I was cool with that. So I said, look, I don't want to be a heel anymore. I want to sell some fitness products. Can I be a baby face? Well, no, and, then they, and they instantly shot it down because, again, I was kind of pigeonholed into my role of what it was. All right, that's cool. I said, well, if I'm going to continue to be a heel here, I have a different idea. Let me take this more of a radical approach, kind of like a uh, – I wanted to be like a version of David Koresh, like a cult leader, and I wanted to have the Church of Simonology. I was going to have Simonologists, this whole thing. I was going to have Simonites, like followers. I want to do vignettes on a ranch. Like I was going hardcore into this. I was like, this would be awesome, man. Like my followers use the fitness products, but I was like a really deep like guru, like really saying some heavy shit and getting in people's heads and motivating them. I was going to have the Gemini come in and be like my first two members of it. I was going to introduce family members. I wanted to have Gene Dean and my wife, and then not my actual shoot wife, but a character on the show, and like have this whole – like Branch Davidian Scientologist type thing. And they were just like, no, we'll never do anything religion. It's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. And then at this point, you're so resolved, and you guys know, you get so resolved to just getting beaten up mentally all the time that you just kind of give up and you're like, okay, that's cool. Whatever, man, whatever you guys want to do. And at that point, you're just having mortgage matches, as I used to call them, because it would just help me pay off my house. And I just didn't care anymore. I was just, the last six months I was on TV, I could have cared less. I dreaded getting on the plane on Friday, going to work, and is, I couldn't wait to get back home again. And that made the decision to take the developmental job easy, even easier because I just didn't want to be around it anymore because I, I grew to hate it. But that's what happened. That's what, what could have been. So who, who were you pitching? Who, who, was, uh, who was shooting down the pitch? All, the whole writing team that was there at that time. That was everybody who was at that. All the uh, writer guys were there at that time. I, you know, you had all, I don't even know if it was them directly, Ed, Brian, Lagana, all these guys floating around. It was probably just a pan, you know, you give some ideas and they take it to the quote unquote panel. They take it to the boss. They take it to this one, to that one. Hindsight being 2020, I should have just said at that point, I should have had any fear of anything. I should, you know what? Let me just go to Vince with this directly. That's what I should have done. And uh, I should have believed in my abilities enough to go right to him and say, hey, boss, I got this great idea. And I could have built up enough credibility maybe at that point where he would have listened and said, hey, I'll give this a shot. But uh, it didn't happen. You live and learn. I would tell mm -hmm. any talent now, man, if you have an idea that you really truly believe in, cut out some of the middlemen because a lot of them will probably be too afraid for whatever reason to actually take your idea and try to do it or they'll take your idea and give it to somebody else. 
Of course, well, yeah, we all we all know how that goes. Wow. So, Tom, you you played some pretty extreme characters, also. Zuma, the surfer dude, in uh, <laughs> triple in, in triple A. Um, I I remember a photo of you with a surfboard. Um, you played uh, you no, played KG. That one, no, no. So that was in Las Vegas. I first started out in Las oh, Vegas with, with Herb Abrams. <laughs> People oh, know Herb Abrams right. now because of the Vice. <laughs> deal, it was Herb Abrams was my first show in Vegas. Uh, Jesse Hernandez, of course, my trainer, uh, brought me out, uh, and then I wrestled for a guy named T.C. Martin, who did a promotion called NWC in Las Vegas at the Silver Nugget, and that's where I first uh, roomed with guys like Sabu. Rob Van Dam, uh, and of course, you know, got to wrestle with the guys like uh, Cactus Jack. And not, I didn't wrestle with him, but you know, just interact with him. Actually, I had a lumberjack match. Strangely enough, I was green enough where <laughs> in a lumberjack match where Cactus Jack was wrestling uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, and he got thrown out of the ring. And I went and grabbed him and tried to throw him back in. And I and I was, <laughs> you know, I was so green, I threw him back in, and he goes. Hey, uh, let me go, bro. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> whispers under his mouth to tell him to let him go. And I was literally thinking, my job's to throw you and I'm going to throw you in like a bouncer, right? <laughs> so that was my first interaction with all that business. But yeah, so I was Zuma there, uh, carried a surfboard, very vicious, a hip with a surfboard. Uh, <laughs> and then they, they told me that that looked silly. Uh, so uh, they wanted me to do KGB, which everyone thought I kind of looked like this. Uh, Russian character from uh, Rocky. Yeah, Rocky Lundgren from Rocky Horror. Yep. You look very much like him at that point. Yeah. 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 About 50 pounds earlier, 50 pounds before now, I did look like that. And uh, and then, of course, uh, I started in Mexico doing that. And uh, shoot, drop that gimmick because I got put on the spot. Listen to this. This is a great one. There's a kid who had a heart condition. And we did a show for him at a high school and it was on the local news. And I went to the high school and the local news followed me. And here's KGB going to put his arm around this kid and say, we're going to have a show for you. I tag team with junkyard dog. Uh, <laughs> and they told me we have, and this is an assembly. We have a surprise for you. We have a Russian foreign exchange student. He's super happy to meet you and talk to you. So in front of the entire school, with the news <laughs> I have the Russian foreign exchange student come up to me with a mic. And oh, I, no, I, I, no. I feel horrible for the kid because he comes up and starts speaking Russian to me. And I just kind of like grabbed him and hugged him and tried to act like a heel. But uh, yeah, I just realized I'm not going to be a fake Russian any longer. Because uh, <laughs> what you're saying is you were not, you're not able to converse with him in Russian, I take it. No, that's awesome. It was, that's very awesome. It was embarrassing. Okay, you know how everything about your high school that you grew up feeling? Like now, here I was as a quote-unquote celebrity Russian guy, and I was put on the spot and made a fool of on the news and in front of the high school. That's awesome. That's, that's, I never heard that. That's fantastic. And then you went on, of course, in Japan, probably to your greatest fame, as the, uh, the Green Beret, the, the Special Services Killing Machine. Uh, Special Forces. <laughs> Yeah, and listen Special to the story. Fantastic one. I got a phone call. So once again, Hashimoto came out. Uh, you know, New Japan fame. Of course, he he started a new promotion, an offshoot called uh, Zero One. 
they came out and scouted me and told me they wanted me to do a like a main event pay per view against him. Uh, only a few short days before, Rick, I believe you were part of this conversation. They told me that they had told the media that I was a Green Beret killing machine and I needed to get a Green Beret outfit and everything. Yeah. So I had about days to figure out how to be a Green Beret. Uh, and then I spent the next um, many years in Japan being a Green Beret. And uh, they would ask me uh, the names of my finishing moves. And because I didn't know any uh, of the names, they wanted me to do something different each time. Uh, they said special technique. And so I, I started giving them different numbers. I'd say special technique number 27, special technique number 42. And uh, they said, how many special techniques are there? And I said, Un there's unlimited amount. It's all, you know, it's all special. I, first of all, I'd always say, this is government secrets. I can't reveal it, which they loved. And, uh, and then the, the media started to catch on to the fact that I would say the same numbers in the, after interviews. And they'd say, oh, uh, you, I'd say that was special technique 27. And they'd say, 27 looks very different when you did it before. And I'd be like, oh, shit, I did 27 before. <laughs> Got your techniques mixed up, did you? Oh, yes. no. All right, yes. So, Tom, of a variety of characters you've played, and the big time, of course, also in 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 UPW. I think you're like a tough leather guy or something like that. So, of, of these characters, of Ozuma the Surfer, Green and Green Beret, the the Special Forces guy, and KGB, the Russian uh, killer. Who, who's your Who's your favorite character that you you've portrayed in pro wrestling? Uh, well, you know, the only one I would dare say that I was able to actually, uh, embody was, uh, Green Beret. Um, I would, I, I, I felt the energy. They made an amazing entry music that had, um, helicopters and guns firing. And so, I remember. I mean, yeah. so when your music hits and you walk out, I embodied a Green Beret. I felt like a killing machine and, and they had me, <laughs> it's kind of a brutal thing to do in Japan. They had me as a no-selling killing machine. And so my thing was that you couldn't hurt me. So I got guys like Ogawa and Hashimoto and Fujiwara, and I would come out and put my hands behind my back in a military pose, and I would challenge them and say, go ahead. And then they'd hit me with kick me, whatever, and I'm supposed to no-sell it, which is a really fucking bad idea in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they hit hard. I loved it because – my thing was I didn't sell. I did a goofy uh, military crawl. Like, they based their knowledge on American military. Green Beret, the reason they gave me that was because guess who was a Green Beret? John Rambo. Right, a famous movie, from, a famous movie from America that became famous in Japan, and so they know us. They don't know Navy SEALs so much. They probably do now, but their idea of special forces or spec ops is Green Berets. And so, oh, the Green Braves are the best. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it made it easy to get over because the character was very much like uh, there's a video game character that everyone always uh, related that said I look like the same guy. I don't remember exactly what it was. Remember the video game character? Anyway, uh, so, you know, you're a video game character of a, of a G.I. Joe guy. So it's really easy. You know, I don't think I could have. I, like I had it a lot easier than a lot of guys. I, I did get over and it was a good run uh, primarily because the gimmick was so good. Um, I didn't understand wrestling and psychology the way I should have, you know, it's funny. You, I didn't really get it until I left the business and really taught more and more people. And I get it now, but I dare say I didn't truly get it then, which is interesting. Maybe that's 
some kind of a weird conundrum of life that we, uh, you know, don't get things <laughs> until after we're done with them. Well, I think as we talked a bit about it earlier, it's like that whole, um, the whole challenge of being in the moment. And yeah. it, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. It's like, you know, we always want to say, I think that, I think the human condition is we always want to say, boy, we, we, now we know, like, you know, I, I wish that I knew, how's the Rod Stewart song go? You, you, you wish you knew five years ago what you know now. Um, but the fact is, man, we're, we're, we're always learning. And I think it's just all about being in the moment and having presence of mind. And um, Mike, I don't know if this applies to you so much, but Tom and you and I know each other so well. I think in some regards, we are always very advanced. But in others, it took us a little longer than others to to really appreciate where we were and what we had at a particular moment. So it's never too late, man. That's for sure. I agree with that. I, I would say that. I said, I, I honestly, Tom, what I would say is once I got out of the bubble full time and I was away from it, it was like being unplugged from the matrix where I had an awakening to how things should be structured different and done. And I would think like, I had such a clearer head of how things should work and picking things apart and being able to find the most minute detail of something in wrestling that I never would have caught a year or two earlier. And it was just, I swear to God, it was literally like being unplugged and cleansed. And then you could step back to take a much clearer look and say, oh, wow, I, I, I can't explain it. But that's exactly what you did, too. The exact same thing. Yeah, the Matrix is probably the best reference I could possibly imagine. Where's Elon Musk when we needed him? Uh, <laughs> I needed him 15 years ago, yeah. <laughs> it's all part of the journey, man. It's all part of the journey. Hey, I want to give um, I want to give a quick uh, hello to Melissa Anderson, our friend Julia Melissa, who's watching. I, I cannot tell you how much she has done for the wrestling business and uh, my uh, fiancé, uh, Teresa Lacey Ryan, uh, she's taken her under her wing and helped her in so many ways. I, you know, the, the, people don't ever understand how this stuff works, but she went on to do great things in wrestling and uh, Lucha Underground, of course, uh, and met, you know, my fiance and literally spent so much time helping her, getting her ready for what she's about to do. And with, with zero, you know, request of any sort of, of, um, gratitude or anything just because it's the right thing to do that's an amazing woman i agree yeah, I'm, I'm, a total pro absolute pleasure to always be around always knew her mark i should have married her a long time ago man i blew it you're she's the best <laughs> nah she's awesome man she was so good yeah melissa you got three fans here and she just messaged us hi guys with three hearts i guess that's one for each of us so good the best hi melissa <laughs> Yeah, she she's good, good people for sure. Uh, man, guys, I mean, we we could be on for hours and hours. And you know, Tom Tom's a podcast master, podcast master. By the way, he's um Tom's been advising me how to make my podcast a a, a better one. Um, I mean, what what's there left to talk about? We could go on forever. You know, you mentioned Herb Abrams. Herb, Herb Abrams is like in the news right now because there's this show on on uh, what's that series called? Vice, Dark, Dark Side, Side of the Ring. Yeah. Yes. And I guess the Herb Abrams episode, which I haven't seen, apparently is the most popular or the or the one with the with the highest uh, rating so far. Did, have you guys seen it or have you worked with Herb? I saw yes. it. I didn't work with it. No. Yeah, I, I saw it. Cocaine and cowboy boots. I experienced 
the cocaine and cowboy boots firsthand. <laughs> so it's all true. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't a big experience, but he had a show at the MGM and I was, uh, I was very, very green. And Jesse had, was involved in setting up the ring. Jesse Hernandez, uh, my legendary teacher and trainer. And uh, so <laughs> Herb and uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka and several other guys had partied really, really, really hard through the night and the morning, of course, of the show. And so, uh, let's see, Cactus Jack was supposed to do a lumberjack match that night, as I mentioned before, with Superfly. And uh, so Herb showed up, but Superfly still hadn't shown up. And so Herb was freaking out, and he says, "Oh, can you can you do can you go in there and wrestle him?" Because he's like trying to find someone. You know, everyone else is already booked; they're already on the show. And here, I looked apart. That that was the big thing I had coming in. I was a bodybuilder and always looked a lot better than I was. You know, I, I, trust me, it would have been miserable if I would have done it. So all of a sudden, I'm put on a spot. Jesse mentions it. Herb mentions it to me, and I'm put on a spot that I might have to go do. <laughs> I believe it's the main event or semi-main event against Cactus Jack in this uh, in this uh, lumberjack match. So, uh, thank goodness, um, uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka comes walking in literally like 20 minutes before the match because I was literally putting on gear, getting ready. So, uh, yeah, and of course I was there the night before and hung out. And you know, I won't say much more, but uh, you know, that, it was an interesting experience to say the least. That was my introduction to the wrestling business. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a Herb Abrams story. I kind of set it up because I wanted to tell my Herb Abrams story. Well, Nova, Nova, have you did you work with Herb ever, Nova? So he was a couple of years before me. On that special, Sunny Beach was talking. I worked with Sunny Beach before, but never I started in late ninety-one, late ninety-one-ish. So I just never crossed paths with Herb. But when I saw the special, I said, huh, no way. There was a promoter in the late 80s and early 90s who was kind of a money mark who did a bunch of drugs. Holy shit. Imagine. That sounds like every promoter I ever met back then. <laughs> what, what, what <laughs> Not even the in the top 10. So it wasn't – Yeah, it's just one of those wacky stories that you hear that only in wrestling, only in the wrestling world could something like that happen. Yeah, and people don't believe – people don't believe it. You know, I, I started my career in the rock and roll business, actually, and I, I, I built this – yeah, I had this like little mini rock and roll empire in Santa Barbara, California, when I was 20 to 25. And, you know, ver very much lived that whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. And that's back when it was cool to do that. You know, it was the, the early to the mid 80s. And, you know, later got into pro wrestling, which, I mean, you, you hear about living the rock star lifestyle. That pro wrestlers tend to 10 times to one could put rock, put rock and rolls guys down. I mean, there's no comparison about, about the way people live. Uh, I was um, I was a Disney executive in Orlando, Florida, and was given this property to run, a nighttime entertainment property, and kind of made a big point to bring pro wrestling to the Walt Disney Company. And I actually got to debate Eric Bischoff on this once, and I was the first person to bring wrestling to Disney and, and not Eric, and I, and I got him to agree with that. 
And I almost brought Herb Abrams in. Can you imagine if I brought Herb, Herb Abrams to Disney? I would have lost that job overnight. Um, <laughs> that would have been and, awesome. <laughs> it would have been so great. Ended up being Rob Russin, of all people. And the main event, I'll never forget it, was uh, Ivan Koloff versus Kevin Von Erick at, on Walt Disney property. It's kind of a weird huh. thing to think about these days. But um, I, I went to New York to, to watch Herb's product on Disney's dime. And unbeknownst to Disney, I moonlighted as the evil pro wrestling manager, Rick Golden. So I'm a Disney executive by day and the evil pro wrestling manager by night. With hair. I with all the hair. Yeah, spray painted gold, no less. And, uh, <laughs> and, leopard, and leopard skin spandex. That was my outfit. Yeah, I was, I was looking pretty sharp, let me tell you. Um, Anyway, I went, I went three shows in a row to three Penta tapings. I, I couldn't get enough, obviously. And Herb was really imploding at that point, as I understand the, the, this Dark Side documentary portrays. So more and more, because I was always a business guy, despite how fucked up I was myself at the time, people would come to me to solve things constantly. So Herb was it, it, absent, largely. So different people who were in positions of responsibility at his company would come to me to help bail them out on certain things. And it's um, it's about 11 p.m. one night, and Brian Blair calls me. You guys know B. Brian Blair, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, one, one half of the legendary Killer Bees. And Brian says, man, we got a problem. You know, production is starting to call. Can't find Herb. He goes, you know, he goes, Herb just called me to his room, I, and then he asked me to get you. I think he wants us to solve this. So Brian, Brian and I come out of the elevator at the same time, we knock on Herb's door. The door cracks open a couple of inches. Herb's like, you guys, guys, come in, please. There's an urgent problem here. So Brian and I walk into Herb's room, and he slams the door behind us and immediately throws this packet on the bed, and it's cocaine. So it's the early, it's the early <laughs> 90s, you know, and, and, and Brian and I are like, why not free cocaine, right? So we, um, we start doing lines with Herb. Next thing you know, Herb's got the yellow pages open. We all remember the phone book, the yellow pages. And we look, and he's got it open to E for escorts. And about an hour later, there's a knock at the door. And I, I don't know how to say this and not sound hateful or judgmental, and it's, it's not intended. We open the door, and there are two people there that I would call women. And they, um, it, it, was, it, was a fright, it was a frightening sight. Put it that way. Um, it was pretty scary. And Herb, of course, was beside himself in, in joy and glory. So he invited these two lovely women in, at which point uh, Brian and I left. We went to an all-night nightclub called Save the Robot. I don't know why I remember that, but Brian and I shut that place down like 6 in the morning. Came back to the hotel, immediately got a call from production saying, um, we're, we're here. We can't find Herb Abrams, who's supposed to pay us. We're not going to unload until we find him. And we, someone gave us your name and number. Okay, great. So I knock on Herb's door and I hear this like voice inside saying, help me, help me. So <laughs> I, I kid you not, man. Called security, I, I called security and I called Brian. Security opened the door. Brian arrived. So basically the, the end of the story, and it's really not much of a story. It just illustrates how the business was back then. And thank God not anymore. The, the story ended with myself and B. Brian Blair, one half of the famed Killer Bees, pulling a 
naked, sweaty Herb Abrams off of a lady of the evening at six in the morning in the Penta Hotel. And uh, oh man, wow, I <laughs> I don't miss those days. I don't know why I told it. I just had to. Sorry. I looked for the opening and I found it. So there you go. Um, and that's perfect, Tom, because right when your fiance has decided to start watching this interview, perfect. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is they reached out to me about that and they said, hey, we understand that you were with Herb Abrams on his show. Do you have any stories? And I was like, I don't have any good ones. If I would have known that story, I would have given him your name. number. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I don't know why I told it now, because, you know, I, I was contacted about that as well and contacted about the Ultimate Warrior episode. And I, I declined to do both. But I just yeah. felt like because I'm with my friends right now, I felt like talking about it <laughs> anyway. Um Enough of that, man, guys. We've been on for an hour and a half. And Nova, I know it's 1030 your time. And uh, you've got your daughter at home. No, normally, I like to come up with a big wrap up. I don't I don't have one in mind. I know that, Tom, I know you're talking about doing a podcast. And I, and I think you should, man. You'd be really, really good at this. Um, Thank you. Guys, where should we wrap this up for the evening? What would be a good place to stop? Let, let, let's get off the cocaine and the hookers and I'll do something more positive for, for a wrap-up. Any thoughts? I'll say some final thoughts, man. I'll just say once again, Rick, I can't say it enough. UPW, figuratively and literally, you two two of the biggest factors, and it helped save my life in that time, man. It really did. I had no direction, had no idea what I was going to do. I was going to quit the business. Everything I have today, that was a turning point for my life. Staying in the business, getting an eventual contract with WWE, moving down here, meeting my wife in Canada who moved down here, having my daughter with her, all of that. Like if I don't go to UPW and rekindle my love for wrestling, I would not have any of this. And it just – it was the, the best time of my life. I loved it. I'll always be friends with you guys forever. Uh, that's why I don't do a whole lot of these anymore. Because everybody does the same thing. Where'd you start? Who's blah, blah. They're always looking for negative and this and that. I just want to talk to my friends. That's why I did this. And, uh, again, reflecting back on just how life, how short life can be with the tragic loss of Shad Gasford this weekend. Uh, I even go back and think of how, how we lost Johnny and, and Mike Bell and so many of our falling comrades. And when I get a chance to talk to you guys, I remember the good stuff. I take the negativity right out of it. Wrestling helped turn me into who I am today. I owe my everything I have to pro wrestling. And uh, UPW is a monster part of that. I can never thank you guys enough. Awesome. Thank you for that, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. Um, yeah, so that that explains why Nova is who he is, because he took the time and put us over, uh, which which explains why he is who he is and, and the, the pro that he is. Uh, as, as far as Shad, I, 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 I've been torn up a little bit about it, obviously. I didn't know him incredibly well. I did a tour with him. Rick, were we in South Africa or Guyana with Shad? Oh, uh, he came to Guyana. We went to Guyana for pro wrestling, didn't we? Yes. Shad was on that one with us, yes. I'd forgotten and, and, about that. Wow, yeah. Well, it, it made a big impact on me because – once again, I, I, I knew him from TV, and I just saw this gigantic black guy that was playing a criminal, which, you know, I don't know about, I don't know about the stereotype stuff, but... Oh, wow. Yeah, prime time, right. Nice guy. And he, just a giant kid. Reminded me so much of, like, the Nathan Jones and the John Henrichs and all these guys that I met who were just monsters that I just thought of how people 
viewed them and they were just such gentle, amazing souls and how incredibly, I don't know, man, just, just gifts, gifts to the world, gifts to the world. And uh, so, yeah, man, I, you know, we all became pretty close during that tour and, and that was, that was my only interaction with them. And just, yeah. And so for me, when it, when it, when something like this happens, I, I see things a lot differently than some people. I don't ever see this as any sort of like a bad thing because I don't ever see life as life. Like we, we, we're here and we're gone. We go to sleep at night. You know, we die. We wake up in another place, whatever it is. Um, to be able to be given the gift of making the impact he made on everyone and then going out in that fashion instead of dying in an old, old folks home, you know, and being a, uh, you know, I, I hate to say that, but you know, just, a uh, uh, nuisance on people. It's kind of a gift in, in, in a way. And, and it's like, that's what he deserved. He deserved a, that gift of he's now become an angel in everyone's mind, a legend in someone's mind. He saved his, saved his child and he went off to become mystical. And that to me is what that guy deserved from what I, what I saw. So, you know, it's incredible. Well, you know, thank you guys, both of you. I did not have any kind of wrap-up in mind at all, but you both just inspired me. Um, before I say what I have on my mind, I want to say this. I, I have nothing but fond memories also of my time in the business, and it, it's largely because of friends like you guys. You know, it's real people, you know, relationships. There's not many of them, but the guys like you, like Shad, like Darren McBee, um, like Chris Masters, you know, people we stay in touch with who continue to influence our lives. So, man, it, it, it's a pleasure having both of you guys on to, together. And, uh, you know, what do I want to say? I mean, we're, we're all in touch. You know, Nova doesn't really return my phone calls anymore, but that's okay. I don't take Every now and then. <laughs> uh, every now and then. No, it's, it's, it, it's really nice. Uh, here's what I want to say, though. We talked about it earlier, and you, you guys made me think of this. So we're watching this. We're doing this on Facebook Live today. So anybody watching this right now uses Facebook. I would say this. Over the next few days, I want to challenge everybody out there. Look in your feed. Look for, people, look for people who are in trouble. You don't have to know them. You know, guys, don't look for the hot chick. You know, don't, don't look for somebody you would normally reach out to. Look for somebody you wouldn't, whom normally you might not even say hello to. That's hurting. And send them a nice message. Just be encouraging. And, uh, you know, we, we pay that forward every day. Like I think the three of us are doing with each other here. Man, it makes it makes every day here better. That's for sure. So that that's what I want to wrap up with today. Boom. That's fantastic, Rick. Because when you shared that with me, it, it I've shared it with, I can't tell you how many dozens of people. And you just did it with how many people listen to this. And that was some of the... Of all the wisdom you've shared with me, because you're very wise uh, with everything you've been through, that was some amazing wisdom because I, it made me literally just go, hmm, uh, that's probably one of the most profound things I could do. Because remember, I said, hey, should I go down to the homeless kitchen and feed homeless people? And you're like, um, no, reach out to the person on Facebook that's struggling. They're posting that they're struggling, and they're your quote-unquote friend. Reach out to them. And I said, well, what about the fucking crazy people that are going to latch on to you and whatever? And you're like, mm, doesn't work that way. Not in my experience. So that's a great one. Thank you, Rick. Of course. Thanks, Arby. And thank you, guys. Thank, thank both you guys. Appreciate your time, all everything we talked about today. And uh, 
I think we're due for another UPW Zoom reunion. So let's uh, let's schedule one soon, huh, guys? Absolutely. Thank you to the two-man power trip for helping you out putting all this together, too. Yes, thank you, John. And I'm uh, going to be calling on you in a moment. There's our man, John. John Pozorowski, two-man power trip, one of the top podcasts in pro wrestling. And uh, I want to say, again, thank you to my good friends, two guys who've had an amazing influence in the pro wrestling business and in many lives, mine included. Tom Howard, Mike Bucci, Nova, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I love you, brothers. I'm out. Peace out, guys. Thank you. John, are you there? Yes, John, Rick, I'm here. Yes. Hey, man, there you are. I always like to talk with you afterwards and decompress a bit. Um, man, that was uh, a little heavy today, I think, but in, in yes. a good way. Um, dude, take the floor for a second. Any any thoughts, any uh, any downloads on what we talked about today? It's funny. You said something like, uh, we've been talking for an hour or something. I was like, no, you haven't. And then I looked at the little live button. I was like, oh, my God, you have it. It just flew by. So fluid, so easy. Tom is such a great talker. Obviously, Nova, I mean, you know very well, is such a great talker. Just went by so smoothly and so quickly. I was shocked to see the time. I was like, oh, my, oh shit, it is, you know, an hour and a half or whatever, an hour plus. I, I actually thought it was way less. I thought it was like, you know, maybe half hour or so into it. It was just running so smoothly, and they had such great things to say. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, we started at three. We started on time today. A technological, mm -hmm. a technological achievement for us, for sure. Yes. <laughs> for me, anyway, because you're good at that stuff. Um, yeah, so we're an hour and 41 minutes into this. Um, and, and I agree. It was it was fluid. And, you know, what I love, man, yeah, I think you just alluded to it. It, it was all real and all genuine. No, no one's performing. And I think that's what makes doing these things so, uh, so fun mm -hmm. and, and grat gratifying, personally, at least. Yep. Absolutely. And it's funny, like, to listen, I, I've said, if you get older, you get wiser, but it's funny, like, Tom Howard, and you know, ass kicker, professional wrestler, kickboxer, MMA, such like a kind of soft-spoken, nice, grounded guy, you know, you expect to, maybe expect him to be wild and crazy, but he's not. No, no, not, no, not, not at all. I mean, he, he, he had his moments back in the day, he and I together, but never acted like that. Mm -hmm. Always, always a gentleman also. I mean, truly two of the nicest guys that I know in this business or, or in any other for sure. And uh, I, I hope people out there got something out of it. Uh, I, I know that I did. I, I want to encourage anybody that's watching and listening to check out some other conversations that we've had here on Talking Tough at www.talking-tough.com. Uh, we'll keep up the conversation with Tom Howard and Nova for a day or two. And if you want to listen to it again, it will be on our Talking Tough website. Uh, we'll pull it from Facebook Live at a certain point. Um, man, John, who should we have on next? It's like it's it's hmm. certain points, I guess, hard to talk, right? Right. I don't know if you got my my email before. I was kind of joking around, sending you a, a a funny picture of who could be next. I don't know if you did. I don't know if you got that email or not. I saw that you had Sting in that email. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I like Steve. I like Steve Sting. Uh, I think you know I started him in the business in 1985, yeah, yeah. and uh, he and I have had some very very in depth conversations recently uh, concerning religion of all mm. things. So I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's what we talk about on air or not. But hey, yeah, maybe maybe we'll make that happen. I'd love to get uh, Hannibal on too. 
uh, Devin Nicholson, I think cool. you and him would be great as well. I think that would be awesome. No, Maybe pair him off with fun. somebody with kind of an MMA wrestling background like he has, but not 100% sure who. I mean, there's so many guys you know that have that background, but I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Severn, maybe Dan Severn yeah, and Dan, Hannibal. Dan Severn. Dan would be that fun. Would, that, yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. You know, and one I really want to put together, and I'm going to give this idea away, and I hope someone else doesn't grab it. And if they do, God bless you. But I, I want to do one with Jimmy Noonan and Doug Dillinger. And awesome. you, you know, you know, those names because you know everything about pro wrestling way more than, than, I, than I ever will. Um, Jimmy was a head of security for WWF and Doug for WCW at the height of the Monday Night Wars. And I know in talking to Jimmy Noonan, they never they don't know each other. They never even met. And I think it'd be fascinating to have on the two heads of security at the time when the business was more competitive and more charged than ever. Uh, so anybody out there knows how to get a hold of Doug Dillinger, please let me know. That's the one I want to do, John. And that's yeah. one of many I want to do. But I really enjoyed That'd the conversation awesome. tonight with Tom and Nova. That was great. Thanks to you guys again, if you're still listening by, by any chance. And as always, John Pozorowski of the Two Man Power Trip, I appreciate you and everything you do for me in the show. So thank you, my friend. Yes, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and until next time, Rick Bassman signing off for Talking Tough. Everybody take care and be good. Bye-bye. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.